This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Coo Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello, and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture, and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I'm your host and your Fireside bard. Welcome to episode 173 of Fireside. Today, we have a story about a man sewing cloth who uh, has a bit of good luck and then decides he can basically do everything anything in the world it is a story of self-confidence it is the story of the tailor and the three beasts but first if you are a new listener welcome along uh, this is a great episode to listen to for the first time again uh, a little hint as to what fireside is like if you like this episode keep listening you could maybe even head right back to the very beginning three and a half years ago and see what we've been building up to over the last 172 into three episodes and if you're a returning listener as always thank you so so much for your continued support uh, if you have not done so already follow me on instagram at fireside bard email me at the fireside bard at gmail.com those are the best places to get in touch with me for business inquiries or personal or just to say hello uh, you can join headstuff plus at headstuffpodcast.com if you really want to support the podcast wherever as low as five euro a month although you can pay more if you want you can gain access to bonus material not just for fireside but for all of the podcasts on the headstuff podcast network and the best way i think you can support me is you can buy my book uh, garden sea a neo myth of home you can buy it in paperback or on kindle version the paperback version is available from headstuff and we can ship it all around the world um so don't worry regardless where you are we can send it i love putting increasingly bizarre or more unusual addresses on it sending it all the way from ireland all the way around the world and that is bearing in mind that i'm currently in australia uh but it is still coming from ireland um i back home my family are, are being very good my father particularly is uh has become my courier for the packages and i'm very very grateful for him to be able to send out uh the books as the orders come in uh, through Headstuff, which is incredible. So thank you to Headstuff and thank you to my dad for continuing while I am off working away. I am uh, recording from the Gold Coast today. I'm still in uh, on tour with World of Musicals. Um, I'm in Coolangatta on the Gold Coast. We're staying here for four days um, before we continue to wake our way up to Queensland. Um, we're going to finish up for a little while in Cairns and then we're going to be in Tasmania and finish all around Victoria um, before finishing up around August. So we've still a good bit of while to go from when I'm recording today. Um, we're in the middle of a 12-show run, so it'll be a while before we have another day off, but being in the one place for four days means I can 
have my days, uh, my mornings and my afternoons. We don't have to have any big, long drives. So it has meant I've been able to get a couple of more episodes because I'm trying to, as as I keep saying, to try and keep as ahead of myself as possible um, when my chances to record particularly can be uh, scarce when we're traveling so much. So this is the second one I'm recording today, which is brilliant. So the story for today is called The Tailor and the Three Beasts. It once again has come from Douglas Hyde's uh, collection, Beside the Fire. We're nearly through all of them. I basically just wanted to adapt all of them that I hadn't, because I haven't really encountered a dud in it. This is a strange tale, structurally. Um, It's one of those funny Irish stories that you reach the end of, or I reach the end of in the version I read. And just, like, there's almost... I won't say anything before. I don't want to... alter your experience of it preemptively because I've tried to put my own slant on it but I'll talk more about what I'm talking afterwards but it there's a lot of really interesting stuff in this tale and I hope you agree as well so we'll chat more afterwards but this is the tailor and the three beasts on fireside the tailor and the three beasts Once upon a time in the west of Ireland there sat a tailor sewing cloth. All morning a fly had been buzzing around the workshop, driving the tailor up the wall. Frustration got the better of the man of cloth when he bit the thread and fired the sewing pin at the fly. Astonishingly, it was a direct hit. The pin pierced the poor fly and pinned it to the wall and the fly flew no more. Much like any of us when we successfully throw something into a bin on the first try, the tailor was absolutely delighted with himself. Aren't I a great lad altogether, the tailor thought. In fact, I think I've been selling myself short all these years. I bet there's no end to the things I could accomplish in this world. Things I never would have even considered as a humble tailor. I bet I could even build a court for the King of Dublin and win the hand in marriage of his daughter. The King of Dublin had longed to build a new court for council meetings and banquets, for business and for pleasure. But every time builders and labourers attempted to start construction, that night three giants would come and tear the court down. Nothing could be done about the giants, so nothing could be done about the court. And the King of Dublin had said that anyone in Ireland who could defeat the giants and build the court would win the hand in marriage of his daughter. And now this humble tailor from Galway had become not so humble and was shooting for the stars, all for miraculously stabbing a fly with a pin. On the rocky road to Dublin, the tailor came across a horse. Recognising his sharp dress, pin-stabbed fingers and apron of thread, the horse asked, What is a tailor out this far? I'm on my way to build a court for the King of Dublin and win the hand in marriage of the princess. Fair play to you, said the horse. If you can manage that, would you mind building me a hole to hide in? My masters have me wrecked from going to the mill and to the kiln. It would be great to have a sanctuary to go to. No problem, said the tailor, who after all was feeling like there was nothing that he could not now do. The tailor took his shovel and began to dig. He sawed planks of wood to reinforce and with his ruler and thread measured it to fit the horse like a suit. In fact, when the horse tried the hole for size, he found it fit all too well and he couldn't get out. He asked the tailor, 
Can you build a way for me to get back out? I will not, said the tailor. You stay there until I get back, and then I'll release you. And he continued on his way. The next day, the tailor found a fox on the road. Hello there, Mr. Tailor, said the fox. Hello there, Mr. Fox, said the tailor. What is you out so far in the Midlands this afternoon? I'm on my way to Dublin to build a court for the king and to marry his daughter. Wow, sounds great, said the fox. Would you mind building a place for me to hide in? The other foxes are always bullying me, so it would be lovely to have a place of refuge. Not a bother, said the tailor. A foxhole was considerably less time-consuming than one for a horse, and similarly it was made to measure and the fox slipped in. But sly and svelte as he was, the fox could not get back out. The tailor was that good. Can you help me out? asked the fox. You stay there until I'm on my way back, then I'll release you, said the tailor. The next day, as the tailor was nearly at Dublin and walking through the woods, he came across a wolf. If this had been a few days beforehand, the tailor would have been afraid of this wolf. But this was today. He had killed the fly with the pin. He had trapped the horse and the fox, who had just been asking him for help. And now he would face the wolf. But it didn't matter anyway, because the wolf could also talk and was also incredibly friendly. They exchanged the usual side-of-the-road small talk, but the wolf had a slightly different request of the tailor. If you have the tools, could you build me a plough? I am always having to hunt and kill with my teeth. I would love to try my hand at ploughing the field so that I might always have food at harvest time. The tailor had never before designed or built a plough, but nor had he built an entire court or slain any giants for that matter. This was, after all, a week of firsts. The tailor was also impressed by this wolf who seemed to want a wolf no longer. The Irish for wolf is Machtera, which means son of the land. Any wolf who could sow and plough the earth would be a son of the land indeed. So the tailor took his saw and hammer and built the wolf his plough. The tailor then encouraged the wolf to try it for size. The beast stooped below the handles and lifted them on his shoulders. From behind, the tailor took the wolf's tail and looped it through a hole in the plough before fastening it shut, trapping the beast under the machine. Could you please let me out, asked the wolf, so I may begin to plough the land. Certainly, said the tailor. As soon as I come back from Dublin, I'll release you. Despite the wolf's howling for help, the tailor left him there and continued on his way to Dublin. In Dublin next, the tailor arrived, and he immediately set about putting up posters and spreading the word that there was a new man in town looking for labourers to build a court for the King of Dublin. At the time, labourers were paid a penny a day, and the tailor was offering each man two pennies. Plenty of workers were keen to work for double pay, even though they were in no doubt that the tailor would fail in his pursuit. But the tailor had a plan, and one that he had great confidence in. He told the workers to build as much of the scaffolding as they could in one day. When it was time to down tools, the tailor asked the builders to help him place a great rock on top of their day's work. When the workers went home, the tailor stayed behind. That night, 
three large giants came along. The tailor had imagined the giants to be more ogreish, dressed in loincloths and rags. But these giants were very much humanoid, with shirts and waistcoats. They were just very, very large. The giants began to laugh with each other at the sight of the scaffolding. Ha ha, said the first. The king of Dublin has tried to build his court again. How stupid is he, said the second. He knows we're just going to knock it down again. I don't mind, said the third. It will never not be funny to knock this down. The giants then set about kicking out the wooden beams and tearing the structure down. From the top, the tailor began to feel less secure. He had to act fast. So with all his strength, the tailor began to push the boulder and roll it off the scaffolding. The giants never saw it coming. The boulder bursting gravity plummeting on the first giant's skull caving in his neck. It would probably have been comical if the giant hadn't died. The other two giants fled in horror and the tailor proudly stood on his structure that also remained standing. Word quickly spread around Dublin that the court of the king was finally being built and that this one had survived the night. The king himself had even heard but refused to get his hopes up. The builders arrived back on the site more surprised than anyone that their day's work was still standing. The tailor told them to get back to work which the labourers gladly did. When the day was done, the tailor once again stayed behind with a boulder on top of the court. He wasn't sure if the giants would return, but they must not have been as intelligent as they first appeared, because the giants did return, and they began to tear the court down, and the tailor pushed the boulder and killed the second giant. The third giant finally did learn his lesson, and he didn't return to Dublin before the court of the king was finally finished. Mighty proud of his accomplishment, the tailor went before the king of Dublin. Henri, I have built you a court and now request your daughter's hand in marriage. The king did not like the look of this tailor. The deal was that whoever built the court and slew three giants, one giant remains alive and you didn't even slay the other two by your own hand, but by treachery. You didn't specify the manner in which to slay them, said the incredulous tailor. But fair's fair. I will leave and find the third giant, slay him and return for your daughter's hand. The tailor left the city and soon found the lair of the giant. He walked into the cave and found the giant by the fire. Excuse me, sir, said the tailor. Would you like a manservant? I would, as it happens, said the giant. It is quite lonely here ever since my friends were killed by falling rocks. But any servant of mine must be able to do whatever I do. Name the thing and I will match you, said the tailor. The giant had prepared a boiling broth of soup over the fire. He challenged the tailor to drink as much of the soup as he did. The tailor said no problem, while concealing a sheepskin beneath his well-tailored clothes. The giant first drank a gallon of boiling soup. The tailor did the same, pouring it all into the sheepskin. Now for my challenge, said the tailor. Can you let the soup back out again? Impossible, said the giant. Can you? Of course. And the tailor stabbed himself in the stomach, protected by the sheepskin which began to leak boiling soup. The giant took his cooking knife and did the same 
killing himself in the process. With all three giants dead, the tailor returned to the court of the King of Dublin. The king was reluctant, but he was a man of his word, and he allowed the tailor to take the hand of his daughter. The tailor paid for a carriage to take him and his new bride back to Galway. The people of Dublin were not happy with this Galwegian tailor who had waltzed into their city, making fools of them all and all but kidnapping one of their own. They thought the tailor must have been one of the other folk or in cahoots with the giants. So a good old-fashioned angry mob was formed to hunt the tailor down. Across the country, the mob ran into the wolf, who was still trapped in the plough. I can hunt the tailor faster than any of you, said the wolf. Next they came across the fox. I can hunt the tailor faster than even the wolf. Finally the horse. I can run faster than wolf or fox. Together we will all have our vengeance on the tailor. Eventually the wolf, the fox and the horse chased down the tailor's carriage. When the tailor looked behind and saw the animals coming, he stopped his carriage and went out to meet them. He did not fight or arm himself. The tailor merely sat on the ground as the three beasts approached, and each one of the horse, the fox and the wolf all immediately stopped in their tracks. Oh no, cried the horse. That's the position he sat in when he built a hole for me to hide in. That's the position he built a hiding place for me too, said the fox. And me a plough, said the wolf. Each of the three beasts bottled their pursuit, turned on their respective paws and hooves and scarpered. When the angry mob of Dubliners saw the three beasts running away from the tailor, they all lost faith in their chase too and ran back home to Dublin. The tailor and his new bride settled back in Galway. The tailor always treated her well, and last I heard, they were still living happily. The tailor was both the hero and the villain of his own story, making a lesson, moral, or even satisfactory conclusion to be drawn. By all accounts he should have become a victim of his own hubris, especially for trapping three innocent beasts for apparently no reason. Then again, his story is a lesson in unfailing self-belief and in faking it until you make it, which then makes it very hard to hate the tailor. The next time I'm feeling down on myself and lacking all self-confidence, I, for one at least, will think of the tailor and the three beasts. The End And that is the tale of the tailor and the three beasts on Fireside. And I hope you all enjoyed it. Yeah, a fun and unusual little tale is this one. So we have an incredible beginning. One of my favorite beginnings. Uh, Phil Pullman talks about the swiftness of fairy tales. And about how all you need is the word once and you're off. You're off at the races. The story has immediately begun. And this story begins straight away. You get, like, Taylor sewing cloth. Fly is annoying him. He throws a pin at the fly, kills the fly, and decides that he can do anything he wants in the world. Incredible beginning to a story. And then things just keep getting better and better for this Taylor. Uh, and he goes out, and all of these three beasts, uh, to say straight away, yeah, these stories from Douglas Hyde, 
who uh, was an Irish speaker, founder of the Gaelic League, like incredible things for Irish culture and the Irish language. And uh, when he gets to the third beast, which uh, in the kind of anglicization of the Irish is written as Mother Allah, uh, he has in brackets Mother Allah and then in brackets lion with a question mark. So the third beast in his version is a lion, unusually enough, uh, considering that, as far as I know, there haven't really been lions in Ireland much. And uh, so I looked at this word, and I'm not a fluent speaker, uh, but when I saw Mother, I went, okay, is that meant to be like Madra? So Madra Allah? So then I thought, I looked it up, and sure enough, as it sounded, I thought Madra Allah, like, I don't know what Allah means, but like that sounds like a lot closer to like Madra Rua, which is fox. So Madra Allah is probably a wolf. And yeah, I did find that that is, uh, was another name for a wolf other than Makhtera as well. So that sounds like a much more logical progression. There is a long history of wolves in Ireland uh, and a progression of horse, fox, wolf works well. Then wolf, fox, lion? So I decided to go with the the wolf in, in my scenario. Perhaps a less interesting choice um, but just made more sense in my head. And the tailor comes across these three beasts, talks this big game about going to build this court for the king of Dublin. They all ask for his help. Um, I find it very interesting, yeah, that particularly with the holes, I guess with the plough as well, that even though they're out of the wheelhouse of, your, of a tailor's specific gifts, they all still work because... They're being made to fit these holes in this plow. They're being made specifically to fit these animals that, particularly with the horse and the wolf, these respective things are not built for usually. So they would require someone like a tailor who can make anything made to fit. So he makes these three and then for whatever reason doesn't, continues on his way, wants them there, almost as if he can fully tell the future. Uh, that, he, that that the tailor can immediately see how his own story is going to end. So he needs the three beasts trapped for the final chase with the mob. It's like he knows he's going to be ran out of Dublin. It's like he knows Dubliners. He says, I'm going to go here. I'm going to take their princess. They're going to chase after me. So I'm going to want to have these three beasts chased so that they can run after me. But I know that I can just sit in this position and scare the three beasts and they can scare the mob and then I'll be left alone. The tailor, it all works out so, so well for the tailor. And so he traps these three beasts, gets to Dublin, and in a very, like, Looney Tunes, Acme cartoons kind of way, uh, defeats the giants by putting a very, very large boulder a la Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner and just, like, pushing them off and killing two of the giants. Um, and the king of Dublin still won't give him the daughter's hand, says, you didn't kill them. Uh, so the tailor goes, okay, well, I'll kill the third one then, and then you'll have no reason not to. And probably in the cleverest thing the tailor does, the concealing of this sheepskin so that he can drink this gallon of boiling broth. And then his manner of uh, feeding the giant is incredibly clever, of like stabbing himself to let out the, bro the broth and the giant stabbing himself, killing him. Uh, so that's a case of like where it's not just blind luck and blind arrogance. That's like genuine wit and intelligence and cleverness on the part of the tailor, which seems a lot more earned. What's unsure is why the mob has this vendetta against the tailor so much. You can only really ascertain, I guess, it's because he has this blind luck, this 
this confidence with which he comes into town and so easily accomplishes absolutely everything that he wants that that would and that's my that's my version there with uh, that they thought he must be one of the other folk or that he was in a league or in cahoots with the giants themselves that it was all an inside job that that was the reason they wanted to hunt him down and get their princess back but then uh, I tried to which I don't often you do at the end of these episodes that little paragraph at the end where I try to almost contextualize the story is not something I would usually do I obviously like everyone to make their own minds up about the stories and just like to tell them myself but I think I almost did that more from my own head to try and put some kind of ending on it because the way it ends in the Douglas Hyde version is particularly unsatisfying where the mob leaves Dublin and they meet the wolf or the lion and the fox and the horse and each of them say yeah I can run faster I'll hunt the tailor down and they chase the tailor and he gets out and he just sits down in a lotus position like a Buddhist monk and uh, scares the three animals but there's no mention of the mob again uh and there's no mention of, uh, you know, the animals running back. That was my own addition, which made more sense of it to my head, at least, that the three animals were running back and that the mob saw the three animals running. They were like, even if the wolf is running, then that must mean, oh, God, we better not chase the tailor anymore. And so they bottled their pursuit and went back to Dublin, um, which, of course, in that scenario would imply that the tailor could just see the future the whole time. As soon as he stabbed this fly with a pin at the beginning, he could immediately see the future. And uh, that was about, like, and that says a lot if the only way I can really make a beginning, middle, and end structural sense of a story is to imply that a tailor could see the future. And so while this is a tale that doesn't have as much narrative sense by our contemporary um sensibilities there's a lot in here that's very very memorable and i think that's why i enjoyed writing it so much a lot happens there's a lot of there's a lot of action in this story which almost like it's shorter than even like last week's in the story of entry uh but it's about the same word kind it's a little bit longer but like there's such different styles because like Ventry is a lot more like setting characters and setting scenes and the battlescape and like the description of fights and battles and like the repetition of dialogue and in a more like poetic sense whereas like this is just like crazy shit happening left right and center and just the swiftness and it's like almost like the storyteller has to keep up with the tailor and that's why I love the that almost schizophrenia of like the different styles of story like very much from this same culture and uh, that's why I love doing the both different kinds. And with that, uh, I will wrap things up. But I hope you enjoyed this incredibly bizarre tale of the tailor and the three beasts. Very different to the tale of the sprightly tailor, indeed. Um, probably one of my favorite openings, certainly, to a story. Just that uh, the West of Ireland, someone calls, yeah, that astonishing it was a direct hit the pin pierced the poor fly and pinned it to the wall and the fly flew no more is one of my favorite lines if i do say so um uh, so i hope you all enjoyed it let me know your thoughts as always on any of the stuff get get me on instagram at fireside bard email me at the fireside bard at gmail.com uh please do buy my book garden sea in paperback or in kindle form uh the links are all in the description below we can send it anywhere in the world support me on headstuffplus at headstuffpodcast.com um, I will see you all you'll hear me all next time and remember wherever you go and wherever you are you can always join me 
by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.